Previously on Newsbreak, Lotus FM. Good day and welcome to Newsbreak Talk. I'm Talisha Naidu, standing in for Taresh Hari Prashad today, and we'll be talking about healthcare workers and mental health in South Africa, and that's during the lockdown period. As we know, July is National Mental Health Awareness Month, so today's program is dedicated to you. I'm talking to you sitting at home, confined for 122 days in your thoughts and emotions. I'm talking to you. Unsure if you're able to pay the next bill. Desperately waiting for the time where things will return to normal. Are you a pensioner sitting at home missing your family and feel extremely neglected? This is your time to pick up the phone and reach out to us on Newsbreak. You can WhatsApp us or voice note us your experience on 071 613-7803. And we are standing on the other side of that line just to engage with you today on the program. We have our experts, they are our guests, they're going to help us through this journey. And you can also stay anonymous. You can call us also on 089-310-8789. Newsbreak, Lotus FM, powered by SABC News. So as I mentioned today on Newsbreak Talk, we are talking about mental health awareness. So we're also talking about healthcare workers in our country during this extremely sensitive period. So Durban physiotherapist Shamim Khan says she has never come across what she has been exposed to in the last week working with COVID-19 patients. Khan, who has over 32 years of experience in the medical field, says the community at large are in denial about the virus until a family member or someone that they may know or is close to them is severely affected. Khan says that the isolated COVID-19 ward at her hospital has seen patients of all ages and walks of life. And she explained that there is a need for people to take lockdown precautions more seriously earlier in the week when we did speak to her. But she is joining us on the line now. A uh, very good day to you and welcome to the program. Hi, Talisha. Good day to you. Thank you so much for having me on your program. It is only a pleasure and we do appreciate all the work you are doing as a frontline healthcare worker. Thank you. So I think, you know, the first thing that I would like to get across on the program today is not many people or the average South African just doesn't know what is happening behind the doors. Because when we go to hospitals or we go to, uh, you know, certain clinics and we see the closed area, we don't really see how COVID-19 patients are being dealt with. But you have this firsthand experience. So if you could take us through your experience of helping COVID-19 patients. Okay, you know, firstly, working with the COVID-19 patients is a very different experience. It is a very unique environment because, you know, you're wearing PPEs all the time and it, it is very impersonal as the patients cannot really see who is treating them. Um, although I've been a physio for many years and have treated many different conditions, 
the problems we see in COVID patients is so different. And, uh, you know, we as physiotherapists are part of the multidisciplinary team treating these patients to improve the health-related quality of life. You know, uh, the most impo- uh, common presentation of these patients is shortness of breath and it's extreme fatigue. They usually get admitted to hospital when they can't maintain their oxygen levels. You know, they get so tired that a simple exercise like just lifting the arms above the head causes them extreme fatigue. So you have to be very patient with these patients and only do what they can tolerate and giving them rest periods in between to recover before they can do more breathing exercises and uh, limb exercises. So um, as they gradually improve their exercise tolerance, we try and do a little bit more with them. Uh, but we also, as uh, physios, we have to be very vigilant of their blood oxygen levels. You don't want to be treating them if their oxygen levels are falling. So we watch, we monitor their oxygen levels by probe attached to the finger. We also monitor their heart rate and their respiratory rate. You can't, you don't have a generic uh, formula for the patients. You know, each patient presents differently. It also depends on their comorbidities. Uh, you know, if the patient is diabetic, hypertensive, has cardiac problems, mm. is overweight or obese, it makes the treatment a little bit more challenging for these patients. And, uh, you know, with the low oxygen levels, uh, they also have confusion. Mm. Um, the milder cases in the ward require oxygen support and exercises to improve strength and stamina. Some of them are very lucky they go home after a week or maybe two and the more serious cases are in the ICU. The major problem in the patients in ICU is extremely low oxygen levels that cannot be supported in the ward. And um, in, in the ICU, you know, your oxygen support can range from a higher uh, uh, rate of oxygen using just a simple oxygen mask, or you can, I'm sure you guys all heard about high flow nasal oxygen. And, uh, you know, this has, makes it a little bit easier because the, patient, the, the oxygen is humidified and, and delivered uh, with a higher pressure into the nostrils. This is also done with a CPAP mask, which is a close-fitting mask that fits to the face. And it's also oxygen that delivers um, at a higher pressure. So this makes the work of breathing a bit easier for the patient. In the extreme cases, you get the patients that are ventilated. And um, these patients are a bit of a challenge because they often, often have comorbidities that I have mentioned. Mm. Now, um, you know, it makes a course very complicated in ICU. And, you know, the patients are sedated and they really don't, not aware of everything. So what we do in these patients that are ventilated, we try and do limb passive exercises to their limbs just to maintain the range of movement because if they're lying there for three or four weeks, and no movement is done, their limbs can, joints can get stiff. Which because is, one, you know, sorry? I'm saying which is so important because the general misconception that's made is that, you know, a COVID patient goes into their isolated ward and they're being treated by a, a group of doctors that's just treating or monitoring their heart rate or their, mm. you know, the mm. oxygen levels. And it's not often understood that, we need physiotherapists to also see to COVID patients because they don't have enough maybe energy to move their body. Um, and you're painting such a, a great picture 
for us to understand the severity of uh, the case of a COVID-19 patient. I want to take you a little bit away from that, Shamim, and I want to take you to just, you gave us a very general picture. I want to take you and paint a more personal picture because without Mm. naming any patients, if you can tell us maybe the one experience or encounter that you may have had uh, that has left an indelible mark on your life, which has touched you Mm. and which has really made you think differently. You know, um, you know, I always quote this uh, example of this old lady I treated, you know, um, she, she is the one that I had to help with the changing of the sheets and things like that. The thing is, the nurses are only go in when they have to do something for the patient. So, you know, she was wet and she was cold and she just, you know, there was nobody to assist because the nurses are really, really busy. You know, the, these patients require a lot of attention. And um, so you, after I changed the sheets, she was so grateful but, you know, she said to me, you know, she she cried and she said to me, you know, I don't know if I'm going to see my children again. I don't know if I'm going to see my grandchildren again. You know, although she was 78 years old, she was so willing to exercise and um, do her breathing exercise. Although she was tired, I had to tell her, you know what, I think you need a break now. But uh, it, it's so sad because really I don't even know if she's going to go out and, and she's going to get to see her family again. Mm. So for me, that was really, really touching. We, we and you know, you battle. Mm. Sorry. No, no, continue, please. No, I just said you battle to keep your composure with these patients. And I can understand how difficult it is. It's a very, you know, um, it's it's a unique case that many healthcare practitioners are dealing with. It's not something you have seen before. Uh, and mm. speaking about, you know, this, the patient that you have uh, just spoken about, a message coming through on WhatsApp, Yasmin Roy of Newcastle saying, we are really missing our grandchildren and children so much as we being pensioners only visit them once a year as they are in Durban and Pretoria. But this year is really, it has brought us down because we're missing them like crazy Uh, and it speaks to you know what the elderly is facing at this moment because that family connection is something that you know they hold dear to them but you know from your profession if you can tell us what you know what help us understand the, the mental space of the patients that you encounter sure that's a big one Mm-hmm. You know, I tell you what, um, these patients are very afraid, right? They they read a lot in the media, social media, family talk about this one and that one that had the illness and what happened to them and, you know, eventually. You know, nobody knows when a patient comes in, we don't even know what's going to happen with that patient. Is that patient going to get better or the patient's going to get worse? You know, the patient's condition, you know, changes so quickly. You know, and, um, you know, the thing is that these patients are left at trauma by the family members or the ambulance fetches them from home. And that's the last time they see the family because visiting is not allowed in the hospitals. And the huge uncertainty surrounding whether they're going to see their families again is, a, is the biggest, uh, is the biggest uh, difficult, is the most difficult situation with these patients. And also... As I said, we don't know if they're going to get better or not. You know, the feeling of breathlessness is very, very scary for the patients. And the greatest fear is going to ICU and being ventilated. Mm. And uh, furthermore, in the wards, they're very isolated from other patients. 
you know, as I mentioned earlier, the nurses, there's minimal interaction with the nurses. That they only come in to do observations, give medication, tend to the patient's needs, or if the patient calls. So it's a very lonely existence, and they're left alone with their thoughts a lot. You know, I think the cell phone and the video calls help um, help them a bit to keep in touch with the family. But, you know, despite that, that human, the lack of human touch is a huge problem with these patients. Mm-hmm. Would you say then that that interaction, the, the video calls, is the kind of support that COVID-19 patients need? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, they hang on to that phone. They want to see that it's charged. Like when you're treating them, you know, amongst other things that we help them with, they'll say, oh, please put my phone on charge. Let me see, or, uh, you know, how much of battery life I have. Because, like, if you go away and they need it to get charged, there might not be somebody for the next half hour to come. You know, they don't want to miss that call. It's just like they wait, you know, under normal circumstances. Visiting hours is very important for the patient. They wait for that hour when the family comes to visit them. And so it is with the phones. To be able to see the family and the family to see them, that they're improving. It's also a support for the family because they have no clue. They just phone and the nurse will say, okay, they're stable. But, you know, being stable doesn't mean anything to the family. They need to see that their family member is stable. And I think the video call makes a huge difference. You mentioned that COVID-19 patients, uh, they have this generalized fear of going to the ICU or being ventilated. Would you say that fear stems from what they read uh, on the news, that going into ICU and then being ventilated is one of the last stages of uh, the COVID-19 infection? It, it, It shows the severity of your case. Yes, definitely. Absolutely. Because then it shows your, your dependence on, on external support to oxygenate your blood. So, you know, as, a, as I mentioned, you know, if you have the comorbidities, your chances are lower of coming out of ICU on the ventilator. So we have had a few success stories, but, uh, you know, it just makes it more of a risk if you have those problems. A message that I want to go to on our WhatsApp line, because we're receiving so many that's coming through from uh, South mm-hmm. Africans. You know, they, in, they, they love hearing an experience, knowing and relating to somebody who has seen this firsthand. Mavis says, I agree with the statement made uh, by Shamim. Until you have someone near infected by this virus, you will uh, stop stigmatizing. And she says, and take it seriously. And she's talking from experience because I am currently taking care of a family member. It's painstaking and heartbreaking. So people, please take this virus seriously. So it's here and now and we need to deal with it together, also wear a mask and take care all the time. Uh, Just talking about, you know, uh, the experience of taking care of of somebody who is a COVID-19 patient. You know, we've spoke about what the COVID-19 patient themselves go through. But what about the person taking care of them? What's the impact on them? Because you take care of them. What has been that impact on you? Sure. Look, emotionally, it takes takes its toll on us as physios. The most frustrating thing is when you see an improvement in the patient and the patient goes to the ward, then a few days later, the patient is brought back to ICU as a condition has deteriorated. In some cases, the patient just doesn't get better, you know. And, you know, the patients hang on to every little bit of hope and they see us and they look at us and say, I hope you can help me. 
you know, and, and you know in your heart you don't know. You really don't know what ri- lies around the corner. Let me go and a little then, more. I, w- I want to stop you there, Shamim. If I want yeah. I want to go a little more, uh, and, and I don't want to be a psychologist, but I just want mm-hmm. to go a little more into that because how does that make you feel knowing that you can't help them? They're asking for that help and you can't. Yeah, you know, it, it's such a helpless situation. Like we had this one patient... You know, the sister said to me, please, please come. He was ventilating. and said, please, please come and help me. And, and I looked at his oxygen levels and I said, you know what, I really don't think I should be treating this patient. But we tried and, you know, we just weren't able to. And she just put her head on her, her hand on, I mean, her head on her hands and I said, oh God, I just wish I could do more for this patient. And that is how you feel. You feel so helpless mm. because you have all the skills. And, um, you know, you can use these skills to treat the patients, but not all of them respond to your treatment. And also because the COVID, um, you know, the, the illness is so different from what we've seen before, the traditional methods we use don't always work. Hmm. A message coming through, Shamim, from Rajan Rajkumar talking about that in Cape Town. He says, hats off to our healthcare workers and thank you um, will never be enough. Each and every one of you are extraordinary human beings. Your passion to take care of others can never be underestimated and God bless you. So some appreciation messages coming through for you. Tell me when you go home, um, when you take the gloves, the mask and the scrubs off, how do you cope? You know, I just focus on the patients who have helped and the difference we have made in these patients' lives. You know, at the end of the day, when you go home, your family's safe, you count your blessings, and just you are just grateful for God for all that you have, you know. And um, I think that's the way you cope because, you know, if you're going to focus on what didn't work out right for you that day, you're going to be in a perpetual uh, state of depression because there's a lot that doesn't work out. And, you know, after seven days, of working in the COVID ICU, you are just emotionally exhausted on the seventh day. Mm. And I can imagine, you know, you, you it's not just experience with one patient. It's so yes. many. You, you, you tend to take that burden on to your shoulders, uh, you know, trying your best. Uh, a message coming through a voice note uh, from Mr. A and Governor, and I just want to play this for you so you can even listen to it as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, trying just to retrieve this. And if Rachel, okay. Good afternoon and news update. Healthcare workers are working in extremely difficult conditions. They are putting their lives in danger. Many of them have been exposed to COVID-19 and have lost their lives. We must applaud these brave and dedicated workers. In appreciation, they should be paid a danger allowance during the COVID-19 epidemic. Thank you. So that's just a message coming through from Mr. A.N. Governor. If we leave maybe the danger allowance uh, aside for now, um, how does the support coming through from South Africans and your family help you through this time? Well, my family is very understanding and, you know, they just know if I'm tired when I come home. I'm just left to my own devices. But, you know, you just have to put on a brave face and, you know, you have to separate your work, your work life from your family life. But, you know, even fellow South Africans, um, there's a lot of messages of support. People are appreciating what the healthcare workers are doing. You know, let's face it, we are frontline workers, but we do this every day. So we don't 
see ourselves as being special, you know, at this pandemic. Mm. And the thing is, you know, what's nice to see is how physiotherapists in hospitals are working together, forming teams. You know, we are all independent practice practitioners. But in this pandemic, people are coming together, working together, supporting each other, and, and giving off their time to to help these patients. So, you know, that's, that is um, something good that's come out of this. It's definitely brought you all together. Definitely. Shamim, you know, many people um, often say that, and it's a generalized point that has been coming through in many discussions that we have on Newsbreak, is that South Africans aren't taking the virus seriously. They aren't, you know, adhering to the protocols. They aren't wearing the mask. They aren't, you know, saying, staying at home and, you know, practicing that safety regulations that have been uh, brought about from government. In terms of the cases that you deal with, I mean, you spoke about the 78-year-old grandmother. Mm. You mm. seeing this first, and how can you, you know, explain this, paint this picture of what you're seeing on a daily basis to make some South Africans who who really feel that COVID-19 is going to come and going to go without impacting anybody, make them understand the severity of this virus? You know, I think you only have to see a COVID patient struggling to breathe to really appreciate how how serious it can be. You know, it's, it's, you know, they are so helpless. They just cannot move. You know, if you just turn over in bed, they are helpless. So... You know, if everybody can just do their bit and adhere to the uh, uh, to, to the guidelines offered by the World Health Organization, and uh, you know, just carry on wearing the mask and practice strict hand washing and social distancing, and also to try and avoid gatherings. You know, I was speaking to our helper, uh, you know, in in my practice, and you know, we we impress upon them about wearing the mask and as soon as they get home, wash their hands before they touch anything. And she was saying to me, most of the people in the taxis are not wearing masks. And now that they've allowed the taxis to fill up, there's going to be a large community spread, you know. And um, I don't think they understand how how grave the situation is and how sick they can get. Not everyone's going to die, but... You will survive and, the, uh, the, you know, you're going to have some drastic changes in your life because people are reporting weakness months after they have tested negative. So we don't really know what the future looks like as far as the survivors are uh, concerned with the COVID-19. Mm, definitely. Um, I'm going to bring in a point from Mrs. Nirmala Devi Mudli, um, and mm-hmm. she says she's so proud of you. And for all that is involved in the COVID-19 healthcare sectors, she's saying awaiting a normal life, it's very far-fetched. Um, and she says for many self-employed uh, had to realize that they are, not, uh, they are at an abrupt halt. And thank God that those have uh, support structures. She says she mm. feels for those who have no direction since this pandemic and the lockdown. She says men- mentally she's meditating and she's keeping a well-balanced diet, exercising and monitoring herself carefully, her vitals as well, and mm. so that she does not uh, you know, uh, undergo any undue stress that COVID-19 has brought upon us. And she says kept in touch with her family and friends who have COVID-19 as well and found how much in distress they've become. So she says that interaction is a blessing through modern technology. 
you know, a point she brought through is the um, meditating, the balanced diet, the exercising. How important is it, would you say, for um, South Africans to keep doing that, to not only keep their, um, their body healthy, but their mind healthy as well? No, absolutely. It's, it's extremely important to keep healthy and, and keep active because, you know, with the restrictions on movement and visiting, because what do people do on the weekends? They go for picnics, they go visit family, and you can't do all those things now. So you're very much restrained to your home. So, you know, keeping active and doing, uh, you know, meditating, all things that are going to help you. And also, if you do happen to contact uh, COVID, you will be in a better position because you'll have better reserves. You will be in a better position to get better. You know, you find people that are in poor general condition and they don't have much reserves are the ones that really struggle to get better. That goes for any illness. You know, mm-hmm. if, if you generally keep healthy, you have a better chance. As a physiotherapist, I've been seeing in the research that we've been doing for this program, a lot of people stating from from um, polls that they've been participating in that they've been having joint pains, um, yes. either, you know, something uh, on their neck, on their shoulders, on their arms. Is that all related to maybe um, stress, undue stress that is related to thinking about or, or procrastinating about COVID-19, what is going to happen, will I be affected? D- does that, as a physiotherapist, is that one of the causes? Are you talking about non-COVID patients? Non-COVID patients. Okay. You know, we, we are seeing a lot of that in our practice because lifestyles have changed. A lot of people are working from home. Now, working from home is presenting with a whole subset of new problems. First of all, the workstation is quite different uh, you know, at home. You know, people are having long Zoom meetings for hours on end and sitting in prolonged abnormal postures. So that puts abnormal stresses on the joint and the muscles, so they're not watching their posture. And also, because they're sitting for long periods, they're not doing anything active. Certainly, the stress factor contributes to the neck, uh, neck and back, the headaches and the neck pain and the backache. So... You know, I I would recommend patients try and do something active. You know, even just walking for ten minutes, like three times a day. It can, you know you must, but you have to improve your um, heart, increase your heart rate when you're walking too, for it to be effective. Because the recommendation is mm. thirty minutes of activity per day at least. I don't know how many people are being able to do that, and just do simple stretches. That, that might help to alleviate some of the discomfort on the joints and, and the neck pain. You know, uh, we, we, it's such a pleasure to speak to you, Shamim, and we really do take our hats off to you um, and all healthcare workers who are putting their lives on the line as well. I know, as you said, you know, it's, it's, it's the job, it's not just COVID, it's all the time that, that you do this, but we really do appreciate you making time to even come today and to explain the seriousness of this virus. Um, so many messages coming through for you, Vasanta as well, saying, you know, true nightingales, we're so grateful and we over-appreciate um, you for the hard work that you're doing, giving off your time, your love, your care to patients so selflessly. It's really remarkable. May you always be protected. May you always be guided. Uh, and we, we do definitely salute you. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, and we will keep in contact with you again. Thanks for joining us. 
Okay, thank you so much for having me. Have a good day then. Bye. You as well. That was Shamim Khan. She's a physiotherapist. Uh, she's been helping people on the front line, uh, COVID-19 patients to, um, you know, deal with what is going on. We do know uh, there has been a shortage at some hospitals and we have our physiotherapist who's joining, uh, you know, the doctors in helping them to care for these patients. Uh, many messages uh, coming through. Uh, Ricky sending us a message uh, today as well saying, um, Vanakam, and he says, thanks for the updates from around the world and for the guests that are on air as well. He'd like to thank uh, healthcare workers. So thank you for that. We'll get to more of your messages. As I said, uh, we do have uh, a doctor, we have a psychiatrist that's going to join us on the line today, Dr. Stoffel Krobler. He's going to be talking to us and talking to some of the messages directly, personally. If you've sent us, if you've been uh, going through an emotional time, if you're facing depression, you're under depression, if there's something that's impacting you, if you're a pensioner and you're feeling lonely, uh, Dr. Krobler will be here to advise you on how to best go forward with this. It's exactly 12.34. This is Newsbreak Talk. I'm Talisha Naido. Avoid touching your face because the mouth, nose and eyes serve as easy entry points for the coronavirus. Stop the spread of COVID-19 with Newsbreak. Welcome to the program. If you've just joined us, we're talking about healthcare workers and uh, mental health. Uh, we've just spoken to uh, Shamim Khan. She is a, a physiotherapist. She spoke to us about her journey dealing with COVID-19 patients and what you should know about this virus. Um, I want to go to a few questions before we bring in our next guest. Uh, Jaya says, I want to say thank you to all the doctors and nurses. I'm currently uh, or I have currently tested positive for COVID-19. I am just struggling to figure out how can I get it even when uh, I wear a mask at all times and sanitize too. I also want to let others know that you can have it as well. While you think you may just have the flu, it could be uh, COVID-19. As uh, Jaya says, she had a terrible flu with a terrible cough, which was not even dry. But then she tested and it came out that she was uh, COVID positive. That's coming through from Jaya. We wish you a speedy recovery, Jaya. Uh, Shani says she's speaking from a senior's point of view. Senior citizens are really missing their friends uh, from the various clubs that they used to attend. And she says they have friends at these clubs that they confide in uh, apart from their children and families. And uh, she says this isolation is really having a terrible impact on them. Anonymous from Newcastle saying that... Uh, they would like to talk about children who don't care and visit friends, uh, yet they know they have old parents and they have a don't care attitude, yet their old parents are staying at home and not visiting anyone. That's a message coming through from Anonymous. We'll get to more of your messages uh, right now. But joining us on the line is uh, Dr. Uh, Stoffel Krobler. Very good day to you and welcome to the program. Good morning and thank you very much for the invitation. I really appreciate it. 
It's only our pleasure. So I just want to start off by saying we have so many messages. We're going to get to those individual, um, you know, cases and questions that is coming through. But uh, we'll start from the, the national point of view, which is the South African Depression and Anxiety Group, that SADAC, has been receiving more and more calls stating that those are from people who are feeling very anxious, very lonely, worried and depressed during the lockdown. Um, give us your view on this, Doctor. Um, I think absolutely we're going to see this more and more. And um, SADC has been doing amazing um, research on this. And they, they call it has increased dramatically. People are really in distress at the moment. And, um, yeah, I, I think why, why this is important for me is not only because people are in distress, it's because this is going to affect their work, which is my my special interest, but coming back to, to, to the research that Prof. Ina Rothman um, and her uh, um, people have been doing in in, in, um, in the Workwell Institute, um, saying that 49% of employees indicated high levels of concern. And I heard you you, you speak about one of the, 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 um, the callers that was a female. They said that um, 35% um, of uh, People are experiencing high incidence of stress-related physical ill health symptoms, and females, remote workers, and mid and mature career employees show higher risk for experiencing stress-related physical symptoms uh, during this COVID time. You know, there's so many um, things that we can attribute towards what's causing the stress. Um, you know, as you mentioned, as Sadak has even mentioned, there's various avenues that we can explore. I want to go to a, a survey that was uh, conducted by SADC because I just want to bring in the 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 numbers so we can have a view of how it's impacting everyone. Um, on a survey on mental health during the COVID-19 lockdown, um, there was, uh, within 10 days, people were asked uh, a few questions and over 1,200 participants who completed the survey about their home life, their mental health uh, before lockdown and how they access information. These were the results. Massively, 92% of the respondents supported the lockdown. 65% of people who completed the survey felt stressed or very stressed during it. Um, And the survey showed that females were the majority of respondents, 85% versus males with only 15%. Why would you say that's the case? Why, why would females be more? Um, that's a question. Yes, why are females uh, more? I actually listened to a, um, a podcast, um, but a webinar uh, just after lockdown started, and there was a Prof. Linda Gratton from um, the UK, uh, from the London School of Economics, and she said that, <laughs> and this is her, her research, okay. um, men do less work than women at home. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and could, be <laughs> could be true. Could be true. So, and, and there's this new boundaries between work and life, and and I think females have been feeling the brunt of it. You know, suddenly they're not only working from home; um, they um, they have to look after the kids. The kids have to be homeschooled. Um, they still have to, to 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 look after everything else, and 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 still perform at work. So, um, I think that's actually the reason. And she was making a. A case for for uh, um, you know a change in roles and and that w- uh, males should become more involved in, in in the household. So yes, I think that's one of the reasons.
It could, it's a high possibility because from that, 48% of res- those respondents were between the ages of 26 and 45. It's that, you know, that, that married, you know, started a life, have children, you're taking care of them. Maybe you have to be working from home. You have to be taking care of the home and you also have to be homeschooling your child. So it's that added pressure during that age group. I want to go straight into one point there is working from home it's it's something that you have been focusing on in your research in your uh, work the the stress and the depression that comes with working from home how severe is that i think it's significant at the moment i think we're underestimating it and interesting the same with linda grattan said that previously there was very little research done on virtual work or working from home because there wasn't I suppose, any reason to do it. And what they found was that people were 13% more productive, but actually when asked, 50% said they wanted to return to work because they missed being uh, uh, at work. And a number of reasons for that, I think. The one is there's this boundary. People don't realize that actually commuting to work and commuting back is kind of your brain switching on for, for work and brain switching off from work. Now we literally, our home is our office or our bedroom is our office. So you open the laptop and, and you switched on and you only switch off this evening and you check your emails. Um, I think that has, 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 has made uh, a, a huge impact in, in people as well. Mm-hmm. So that whole boundary between switching on and switching off is, is gone for people. And um, it, it, it's, I think managers have been struggling to, to make an um, adjustment as well. I hear lots of, 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 of reports of some managers becoming overly um, controlling of, of, of the people that they manage and, and people have this expectation that they have to be online all the time. But in the reality is actually that at work you, you switch off. You, you yeah. go and have a, a break with a, and a coffee, you know, with a friend. Um, you go out for a lunch break. And suddenly working from home, there's no rule book and people are switched on all the time. You know, it's it's also um, something that you have no control of uh, because of the current circumstances that you're in. I, I want because of time, I want to move on to my next point. You know, I was sure. reading the statistics and a total of 59 percent of respondents said they were diagnosed with a mental health issue prior to lockdown depression was the most common mental health diagnosis of 46%. Even a message we just received now um, from Anonymous says, I'm going through uh, fear because I had depression before and not knowing where uh, your children are visiting, it keeps me awake because we are scared and it's very depressing. So, uh, Doctor, how does that that underlying condition of depression just creep up now and and just prevail even more? Um, I think that the, the lady that uh, made that comment probably represents so many people and she doesn't even realize how many voices she's representing just expressing that view. Um, we know that before lockdown, uh, statistics said that one in seven employees will have um, been diagnosed with a um, mental illness. And I don't want to take up too much of your time because if you go, give me half a chance, I'm going to keep talking. But... Um, recent uh, study that was published last year on first-year students in UCT and Stellenbosch showed that uh, almost 40% of them had diagnosable mental illness being anxiety and depression. So this is about people at university, which means that they enter the workforce. So 
the point here is that a few points. Firstly, people with depression, the circumstances around COVID and what's happening to us and the stress of returning to work and the new ways of doing um, things, the, 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 the hygienic measures, the physical distancing measures, is stressful. Wearing a mask is stressful all the time. So people with already existing mental illness may experience an exacerbation of symptoms, but people who didn't have mental illness before might also start suffering from, 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 from mental illness. So if we consider how many people actually have been suffering from mental illness, um, I can't understand that uh, previously um, mm. employers weren't too concerned about it, but now they have no choice. Employers, CEOs need to set up and say, we need to upskill ourselves. We need to learn how to, to uh, um, assist and support people with mental illness at work. And, and we need to learn new skills. We need to learn how to listen. We need to learn uh, what the resources are and how to, to, to send people in the right direction. But definitely, I would agree with you in saying that this is the time that all South Africans' employees as well should take to hone their skills into how to identify mental illness within their uh, workplace, at home, just to understand the different uh, you know, aspects of it, whether it is anxiety, whether it's a bipolar disorder, whether it's depression, just to, to un- take this time to understand, better understand it. Absolutely. And this has been actually for quite a while in other countries in um uh, there's a company called uh, um, Mental Health First Aid that started in Australia, then went worldwide. In in the UK, there's a course called um, uh, I Act for Managing and Promoting Positive Mental Health and Wellbeing, which myself and the company that I work with, Mindful Revolution, has recently brought to South Africa. And this actually course not only gives tools to managers, but it also teaches you what the difference is between a low mood and when it does it become depression. When does stress become an anxiety disorder? Uh, what are the benefits mm. of improving mental health and well-being in the workplace? So these are the conversations that um, employers should start having with their employees. And uh, there's no denying it and there's no getting away from uh, this topic anymore. And the reason I just have to mention that, that I suppose we haven't been having this conversation is stigma. And suddenly COVID has uh, um, given us an opportunity to start breaking down those barriers and breaking down the stigma. On the program, Doctor, we do get a lot of messages and voice notes and we'd like to assist as many uh, people as we possibly can. I want to play one of the voice notes received from Mr. Singh. Hi, wonderful topic. Never ever before have we faced a pandemic, the COVID-19 in our life before. It chooses no color or creed, and it's uh, in front of our eye. So let's sanitize, use a mask, stay away from people or stay at home, and look after our health. In my family, we had quite a few that already had it, and it breaks you down. And you also need someone to look after you as well. So guys, let's treat this whole thing seriously. Roy Singh, staying at Kwatukuza. I want to talk about that, Doctor, because firstly, we can yeah. we can hear it in the voice. It yeah, is yeah. definitely breaking people down, yeah. even to see your family members or your friends go through this. So... Uh, you know, how, how, how do we help people? How do people cope with this? Um, 
I think for family members, um, we need to reach out to, to each other. We need to check on each other all the time. Um, I come from a, I'm very fortunate to come from a very close family and also fortunate that none of us uh, have actually uh, been affected by, physically by the virus. But I can just imagine um, how stressful it must be for people once they have the virus and have had colleagues and, and, and friends uh, um, being in isolation at the moment and very recently and just reaching out to them um, every day. I literally make a point of every day, if I know if somebody has, has, has uh, COVID, to reach out, send that text message and say, hello, how are you? Is there something I can do for you? You know, sometimes it's more, we go to be expected to do more than just give a call or, or a supportive call. Um, people can't go out and they can't go, go and get, get groceries and, and especially the elderly. So we, we might start asking people, how can I uh, do something practical for you? How can I, can I go and buy you some groceries and put it on the, uh, um, you know, mm. uh, the front door or at the front door? So we, we really do need to, to be very kind with each other and very supportive of each other. You know, it, it speaks volumes because when um, when we have to have, or you know, citizens who turn to becoming advocates for a certain, uh, you know, for whether it be mental health or to advocates for safety regarding COVID-19, it speaks volumes about what they're going through for them to say, I need to start speaking out and I need to start educating others. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> that, that's exactly why I've, uh, I've seen this opportunity. I've been doing research on stress in the workplace for the past 20 years and, um, and, and trying to establish mental health champions in the workplace. But the conversation needs to take place in families as well. I keep saying to people, uh, we all have mental health, we all have physical health, and uh, in as much as we have mental health, and sometimes we will be physically ill and sometimes we will be mentally ill. In, in my family, uh, they have the benefit of having a brother with, uh, uh, with a psychiatrist, and mm-hmm. we talk about mental illness like we talk about physical uh, illness. And um, I, I think that's a, it, it's a, it's a change in attitude. It's breaking down the stigma. And in as much as family can start having this conversation, so should we be able to have this conversation at work as well. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, speaking of that, Doctor, as you said, your family, they, they are lucky enough to have you there. You're, you're a psychiatrist, registered, you're a professional, you can help them. Some families have a trusted family member that they could go to. You know, we, we hear the, the normal family meetings you can have and you can discuss this. The elderly used to have, you know, as, as a listener uh, or a message that we had got had said, they used to have their the senior citizens club meetings or friends from there that they could go to. But of concern is that 16% of respondents from that survey, which the number could be much higher from those who didn't partake in the survey, who are living alone. And that loneliness and isolation is a recurring theme from, I think, the hundreds of callers that uh, contacted SADC and their helplines every day. So loneliness has very, very serious impact on health and mental health, would you say? Absolutely. I, I agree wholeheartedly. And uh, again, recent, a recent survey that came out now in June by Deloitte was looking at generation, uh, generational differences and uh, Gen Zs and millennials. And 49% of them, this was before lockdown, mentioned loneliness as part of the um, stress. So, and, and the whole uh, um, 
before it was about uh, a mental illness in, 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 um, at, at the workplace. So this was before lockdown. I can just imagine how this is going to go up now during lockdown and that loneliness actually can be a contributor to, to, to impacting on your, your mental health and actually uh, if you have a predisposition, um, you know, just be the necessary thing to tip you into a depressive episode. Yash has sent us a message on WhatsApp. She says that she works uh, uh, at a doctor's office and she works within the hospital environment and she's noticed that a lot of people come in for the smallest of problems and uh, she's requesting people, if you have small problems that can be dealt at home, please stay at home and don't risk your lives. But, you know, I, I, I suddenly feel a little itchy throat. I go to the doctor. I'm not sure what it may be. Does that panic, that fear... It, does it always lead to maybe a mental illness such as like anxiety, a schizophrenia maybe? Because I'm constantly thinking I have an itchy throat or I have, uh, I'm not feeling well. It could be COVID-19. We have seen a phenomenon that we've seen And especially if frontline workers, you know, and I'm going to count myself in there as well. The moment I have an itchy throat or a sore throat, I immediately worry, you know, is there something more than than just a bit of allergies? So um, we tend to, to, to worry a lot and our anxiety and arousal levels are higher. But this does not mean that everybody's going to start suffering from uh, um, depression and anxiety. Usually there's a multitude of factors um, that, that uh, um, would um, lead to a... a a diagnosable mental illness, and schizophrenia is a uh, that, that's a very serious mental illness. Very few people are, are are afflicted by schizophrenia, but I think a lot of us, um, and I'm going to to, to um, refer to myself. I've become a little bit of a hypochondriac. Like <laughs> I do worry when I whenever I get a little mm-hmm. bit of symptoms, and and uh, yeah, I, I think it's it's we have to normalise some of our experiences as well at the moment. And, uh, you know, being worried about your mental, uh, about your physical health at the moment, I think is, is quite normal under under the circumstances. Speaking of normalised, we, at this point, I have no idea, no clue when we will return uh, back to normal. And if this is going to be our new normal, because uh, there's a high possibility that we will not return to to a normal that we experienced before. Sanitizing and, and wearing a mask and following such protocols may be our new normal. How, how do we cope with that going forward so that we don't fall uh, behind or we don't start experiencing any symptoms that's related to mental health? Um, that's actually a very good question. The, the whole issue around new normal, and I found myself using the wor- word um, quite often in the beginning, and then I uh, stopped myself from using the word because we don't know what the new normal is. Um, we, we're not there yet. So we're still, I think, in a collective grieving process at the moment as, as, as a nation, as a, as a world. Um, and we have to accept that physical distancing measures, wearing a mask, uh, um, sanitizing your hands or washing your hands regularly is going to be part of the normal way of doing things for the foreseeable future. If you want me to take an educated guess, I would say at least for the next 18 months. And therefore, we, we I think we're slowly designing our own new normal, um, but it is stressful. I find it 
you know, I find it upsetting going and standing in queues and seeing the worried eyes of people behind the masks. Uh, um, yeah. So um, mm. I, I don't think we're there yet. And I think we need to accept that, that this is a grieving process. Part of the grieving process is strong emotions like depression, like anger. Um, and, and, and we, again, we need to be kind to ourselves and just start getting a vocabulary for all these things that we're getting, going through. Mm-hmm. Well, Doctor, I, that brings us to, to the end of the discussion, but thank you so much for joining us. And as we've mentioned to you know our previous healthcare worker as our guest, we definitely salute you for the work that you're doing um, on the front line of this pandemic and for the time that you put into helping others. Thank you very much. I really appreciate that. Thank you for joining us today, and we do wish you well. Take care. You too. Bye. That was Dr. Stoffel Grobler. He's a psychiatrist. He was recently part of the webinar uh, that took place on mental health uh, awareness. As we know, July is Mental Health Awareness Month. But um, as we reach the end of the program today, just a few minutes more, and I want to, as I'd started the program off saying, I, we dedicated it to you to try and help you to make you understand the seriousness of the situation and what's going on. I want to get to some of the messages and voice notes we've been receiving. Bully Mudli saying the challenges that we are all currently facing has forced most of us uh, to roll back uh, our life and to live with a, a little uh, as possible. Rolling back does not mean going into a depression, losing your mental balance or becoming miserable. When somebody uh, is tested positive with COVID-19, family and friends must support each other. Uh, it keeps one's spirit up. That's from Bully Mudli in Queensborough. Uh, messages also coming through saluting our healthcare workers from Shani, uh, from Visanta, Ricky, Captain Seelan, uh, also sending us a message supporting healthcare wor- workers. Rihanna Jangi sending us uh, a message saying everyone in the healthcare sector, uh, she salutes them and uh, thank you to all those uh, that are doing excellent work to protect all of us. Um, message, as we mentioned, coming through from Anusha as well, saying um, that she is uh, feeling sick. She goes to the doctor for uh, to be treated and the doctor said it's just flu, but she still feels so uh, depressed. That's coming through from Anusha. Speaking to what um, we had just discussed with Dr. Krobler, that, you know, we take the smallest things we feel and we insinuate that it could be something else. Daisy saying that uh, to all doctors and uh, social workers, as well as the team here at Lotus FM, for uh, she's saluting everyone and saying well done for the uh, updates that they've been providing. She says, I have a brother who is 74 and he never left his home from the time lockdown had started uh, and he followed all protocols, but he was tested positive. Now he is recovering and thank God for that. Uh, and finally, a message we've received all the way from New Zealand. Um, and uh, it comes from Kriba Mudli in Auckland, New Zealand, who says, while we are in relative uh, safety here in New Zealand regarding the virus, our thoughts and prayers are with our family and friends in South Africa. We appeal to all to take the virus seriously. Our thanks and appreciation to all the frontline workers. And uh, the general view that's coming across today on the program, and thank you to our team that has put this program together, our executive producer, Salma Patel, producer, Taresh Haripashad, and Rachel Vardy. I am Talisha Naidu. Have a safe and blessed afternoon. And thank you for joining us on the program today. It's now to news with Hafsam Kizeh.
News break. Lotus FM, powered by SABC News.